HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. Steve, you know, the, the calendar's so close, so close to football magazine season, at least on our podcast, and I know that you've picked up some mags recently, but that said, there was a pretty significant, um, oh, milestone's not the right word, but uh, significant going on this week as far as college basketball college basketball is concerned, especially for next season, and that is the uh, NBA deadline to either keep your name in the draft or remove it from the draft was this past Wednesday. And we thought that this would be the appropriate time to take maybe a deeper dive on what rosters look like for the teams that we believe are going to be uh, competing for a championship next year. Or as I put it, I I think teams that are going to compete for a top four finish will certainly each have our own tiers. Um, You know, to me, the... The two biggest, well, the three biggest things, actually, um, as far as names, you know, uh, Caleb Swanigan is going to turn pro. He's staying in the draft. Uh, Miles Bridges for Michigan State did not turn pro when he seemed like a top 20 pick, uh, almost guaranteed. And then um, one of your boys from from Michigan, um, DJ Wilson decided to keep his name in the draft. And we'll, we'll talk about all of these in greater detail. First, Steve, were you surprised with Swanigan's move? In my opinion, I think he would have only hurt himself had he stayed another year at the Big Ten level. No, John, I was not surprised. I, I think everybody in the conference that made the decisions they made um, – I don't know that I think they all made the right decision, but I think they all um, made defendable decisions. You know, I think that's a good way of putting it because we won't really, we won't really know until you know we get to the end of the uh, the end of June when we have the draft until we know for sure. But I think when you look at the various names of who stayed, who went, you know, the Indiana guys with the new coaching staff coming in, and you're not sure. Um, you know, really what the system will be and you're all going to be seniors and does the new coach want to play his own people and start to establish himself? So what does that do for your visibility? You mentioned Caleb Swanigan. I don't know what more he could do other than the Charles Barkley impersonation he did this past year. And from an NBA measurable standpoint, he's a tweener. So you come back another year and now you have defenses are keyed on you the entire season I don't know that it helps your stock at all. On the other hand, if he wanted to come back because he loved college basketball and uh, with him back, uh, you're looking at the entire starting five of the of the uh, undisputed Big Ten champion. So you're thinking there, Priest, he's a top five team. I wouldn't have begrudged him at all for saying, you know what, I want to give this thing another shot. See if we get we get to the, you know, the Sweet 16 this time. Let's see if we can get to the Final Four. I don't have a, wouldn't have had a problem with that. But from a professional standpoint, he probably made the right call. You know, I, Mello Trimble, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what his position is in the NBA. And I think that would have been a team with him back on it, uh, even though they had another couple of guys leave. That would have been certainly at least top 25. But, you know, he's also played at a very high level two years in a row. So I don't have a problem with that either. You look at Miles Bridges, you know, he was more than likely a lottery pick. But he, he, he this was kind of a lost season for him. Uh, you know, he was hurt. Um, you know, during one key juncture of the season, that really took away until late in the year his chance to really uh, develop as a player. And they and he never really got to play alongside that entire outstanding recruiting class. And they had a couple of big men who were supposed to be 
their their interior guys that were injured most if not all of this season that are going to be back and you look on paper if they develop a, a real point guard if Cassius Winston takes the next step that looks like the definitive Big Ten champs so I don't begrudge him from saying, you know what, the money will be there next year, and next year's draft is considered weaker than this year's. And if you're DJ Wilson, you know, a year ago at this time, if I would have told you that he was going to go to the NBA, you would have laughed at me. Nobody knew who he was. You know, I mean, he had come off a redshirt year, rode the pine, and this is kind of John Beeline's thing. He's had eight players draft. He's Well, assuming Wilson gets drafted, that'll be eight guys drafted, John, and not a single one of them were McDonald's All-Americans. I don't know another program that has done that in the in the two draft era two round draft era so if you're dj wilson you caught lightning in a bottle you know and and you've got mo wagner coming back and and he's more of the traditional um you know pick and pop guy in a beeline scheme and they've got another good recruiting class coming in so are you really going to perform at a higher level this year than next year your team would be better if you came back but for you personally i don't know you know so i think his decision is defendable as well so i thought i thought guys made what are defendable decisions i didn't think there's nobody that i think we're sitting here thinking oh boy that's a career ender i mean that's a life-altering mistake and and i think when you look at the this league heading into next year it's freaking loaded dude it is absolutely freaking loaded. I, I think Michigan State provided Cassius Winston. That to me, he's the key player. I told you that all last season. If he is prepared to be a Big Ten level point guard, then that's the best roster in the conference. And but then I think the then I, then I think depending on what Wisconsin does or does not have coming in, I think you look at there's six or seven other teams, and, and then you throw it's six if you don't count Wisconsin, seven if you do that I think are going to be preseason top 25, if not top 25 kind of teams the entire season. Yeah, don't disagree. The league's going to be much, much better next year from you know one through at least seven, uh, maybe even one through eight, from a standpoint of it's going to be a dogfight each and every night. This past year, it was more of a conference that had a strong middle or strong, you know, four through nine, where this year it's it's going to be much more top-loaded, and I agree. You know, with regards to Wilson for Michigan, he his performance over the last seven or eight games of the season, um, I, I think definitely helped push him. And I think you're talking about a guy that there, there are some players – like a Caleb Swanigan, who set a Big Ten record for double-doubles this year, that if he stays another year, um, you're likely going to expose more flaws than you are going to improve your status. Uh But he's in a different level than Wilson. Wilson is somebody – is he like a – would he have been a junior? Yes. Okay. So he's been there two years. He really came on strong late this year. I'm not saying he wasn't very good at the other portions of the season, but he really played well down the stretch and uh, in big situations. Would have been a redshirt junior, actually. Redshirted, rode the pine his freshman, redshirt freshman year, and then this year came out of nowhere um, uh, to really burst onto the scene. But yeah, they've got two two years of film on him. So yeah. And so I, I, with his skill set, 
and with his athletic ability, with his length, his ability to take you outside, um, you know, he, he's uh, he was Michigan's best rebounder this year. Uh, shot blocker, blocked 57 shots. I mean, far and away the most blocked shots on a Michigan team that didn't block a lot of shots. You're looking at a guy that, if he came back, I think that, yeah, does he have the ability to step up? Yes. But I think with his skill set and his size, I think that the intrigue over what some NBA clubs could do to develop him, I think he made the right decision, too, because hey, Go and develop at the NBA level and get paid, as opposed to coming back. And I'm not—he probably would have gotten better, but maybe then there would have been more holes exposed. I think he made the right move for sure. Yeah, I don't. You know, selfishly, if he had returned with the recruits they have coming in, they're bringing in the guy. Their new point guard is probably probably turned down Kansas to come to Michigan. Probably would have been the preseason Matt Player of the Year, the Simmons kid. With him, I. And if you bring Wilson back, I think this would have been potentially the best starting five of the B-line era. I'm not saying his most talented team. And we had a team, that team in 2013, had six NBA players on it. But I mean in terms of defined roles. I, I think a true point guard, a true number two, a true number three, a true four, a true five. And, and I would have taken that starting five of against any starting five in the Big Ten had Wilson returned. Um, but I don't, I don't begrudge him the decision he made for all the reasons that you just gave. And, you know, I still think uh, there's – I mean, this is still a team that's 11 deep. Beeline only likes to play or nine guys. So a couple of guys are going to redshirt this year. It's just I think he's, he would have been the difference selfishly as a fan. I think he's the difference in them being somewhere between a, a fourth and a seventh seed next March to um, maybe being a, a certified top 10 team all season long. But you're right. With, the, with the, 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 the athleticism he brings to the table, the non-defined skill set, unlike Swanigan, who has a non-defined position, Wilson's non-defined skill set, meaning he does a lot of things pretty well, I think it, that makes him a, an attractive developmental option at the next level because he does a lot of things pretty well. Shoots free throws in the clutch, blocks shots, can can shoot threes. Uh, he does a lot of things pretty well. He's not as good of a post player as Mo Wagner. He's not as good as a, as a perimeter shooter as Mo Wagner. Uh, he's not as good as, 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 as this as some other guys. Not as good a rebounder as Caleb Swanigan. But he does a lot of things well enough. And when you have a seven-foot-three wingspan, well, now you start talking those measurables that NBA scouts like. And, yeah, I think someone absolutely is going to take a look at that and say, we'll pay that guy for the next three to four years to develop him. And, and depending on where he goes, late first round to early second round, that is anywhere from over the course of three or four years, you know, five to nine million dollars. You can't begrudge a kid for that whatsoever. I don't. Yeah. Let, let's move on to another team that, that I think is a preseason top 15, and that's Minnesota. Um, they lose springs, and that's basically it. They return 88.8% of their minutes, um, 93% of their assists, 97.4% of their blocks, and they were one of the best shot-blocking teams in the country with 200 
and 27. Over double what Michigan blocked as a team. Of course, it helps to have Lynch, you know, blocking 114 himself, which is more than Michigan blocked as a team. And, and of several other teams, I'm not just picking on Michigan here. Um, 88.1% of their points, they returned 66.2% of their points, or 66.2 points per game. Most every one of those statistics that I gave you, with the exception of percentage of points returning, um, I know actually they they have that. Almost every single one of those statistics, they top any other team in the Big Ten. Very athletic, great defensive team, a team that I think will make offensive strides. And while I agree with you, I think Michigan State probably is a Final Four caliber contender. It wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota was a preseason top 15 team and stayed there all season long. They deserve to be on paper for sure. But it's a program that has not faced this level of expectation since, you know, you had the Clem Haskins, the one dynamite team he had that with Bobby Jackson that won the Big Ten going away, got to the Final Four, went on probation. You know, I went to the Final Four. They were in for my um, bachelor party. So, and I just celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary. So, almost nobody on this Minnesota team, the last time this program had this kind of expectation level going into a season, was alive. Uh, or, um, at the very least, eating solid food on their own independently. So, that'll be interesting to see how they handle that. You know, you have a, a coach that a year ago at this time, you and I thought was dead man walking, uh, and Richard Patino. And it goes on to Big Ten Coach of the Year. They have one of the biggest one-year improvements in the entire history of the Big Ten Conference. You know, that, that's – in a way, they kind of remind me of Penn State football a little bit. Now, Penn State football has a long, distinguished track record. But I'll be fascinated to see – they were sort of a year or two ahead of schedule last year when they came out of nowhere, and their coach was – you know, James Franklin was fired in September. And then at the end of the year, they are overcoming a huge deficit against – one of the best defenses in the country and winning the Big Ten. And and it'll be fascinating to see how Penn State football performs now with all these preseason expectations they have here this summer. And in some respects, I think Minnesota is sort of that equivalent in, foot, in basketball, albeit with a younger coach who doesn't have the resume that James Franklin brought with him from Vanderbilt. But it's still a program with these guys that is not accustomed to the lofty expectations that you were talking about. And one of the things that I saw this past season, you know, we played them in the Big Ten tournament um, right after Springs got hurt. And, man, there really wasn't there, – there, there was one other player you had to defend really consistently from the perimeter. And it, it was shocking to see just how that one guy who was sort of considered a role player, obviously – what that did to limit them. So I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm going to put them there in my rankings, but I do think it's a program that's not accustomed to this. And in, maybe another good analogy is they kind of remind me of Maryland a couple years ago, if you remember that, you know, where they were surprising, got to the Sweet 16, brought everybody back. They were preseason number four in the country, overwhelming preseason Big Ten favorite, and they just couldn't take that next step. And sometimes for programs that are at that level of a Minnesota, John, that's the toughest step to take. Indeed. Northwestern uh, hit some rarefied air this year, made their first ever NCAA tournament, won a game, uh, nearly won two. 
and they return a great deal of production. 80% of their minutes, nearly 80% of their three-pointers, 85.5% of their total points. They lose Lumpkin and Taphorn. Um, Neither of those players average in double figures, six and four and a half respectively. They return McIntosh, who's probably my favorite player in the Big Ten, who doesn't wear an Iowa jersey. Uh, Lindsey's back, and he's going to get better. He had some, you know, some uh, illness issues this year. This is a t- and a pardon. A pardon is the big, the big kid, the young kid. Lindsey is the one that had the the illness issue. This is a team that probably is going to do very similar to what they did this year. They were ten and eight this year, making it as an at-large selection to the NCAA tournament. I think that they could potentially do a little bit better, but if they're ten and eight next year in a Big Ten, that's much better at the top, like we said that it is. It's probably back-to-back NCAA tournaments for Northwestern. Agreed, and and I think the preseason expectation thing for Northwestern will not weigh on them as much as it will as it does for the program I just mentioned in Minnesota. And here's why: the one thing I think I told you on the podcast last winter, and Northwestern was kind of my adopted team. I I thought their fans had suffered enough. I wanted them to make it. But the thing I was concerned about, and we started seeing this a little bit in mid to late February, when if they got close, and they had a key injury, of course, that had something to do with it too. But when they got close, I was concerned all the Northwestern grads and the sports media and all the attention on that, would it wear them down? And we got down to that that last week and a half of Big Ten play, and – if they don't hit that shot, that miracle against Michigan that sort of was considered to clinch their bid, you know, I'm not so sure they would have gotten in. Probably then would have the way they played at the Big Ten tournament when they got to the Final Four of the tournament, that probably would have put them in. But they would have been much more. Could they have played that loose in that Big Ten tournament, though, John, by, by being on the other side of the bubble going in? I think overcoming that. That, to me, is like what Minnesota's got to deal with now with preseason expectations. Northwestern has overcome the ultimate albatross of any program in the Power Five in college basketball, which in college basketball is more of a Power Six if you include the new Big East. So I think I think they go into this season. I don't think it matters if they're in the top 25 or there's higher expectations because I think these guys have oh, have have taken a massive monkey off their back and they're kind of playing with house money at this point. We talked about how Caleb Swanigan stayed in the draft and is not coming back to Purdue, but it's not like they have uh, empty cupboards. Nearly 80% of their minutes return, 86% of their three-point production returns, um, 75.1% of their points, and 60.1, uh, 60.1 points per game. That's you know right up there, tops, near, near the top. I mean... Minnesota returns 66.2, far and away number one in the Big Ten. Iowa is next at 61.67. Northwestern at 60.7. Purdue at 60.1. They return a lot. They return Haas. They return Edwards. Haas last year, Steve, going into the NCAA tournament, you might be surprised to know this, he was averaging less than 20 minutes a game. Now, he's a big fella, and getting up and down the court is kind of tough. Uh, if you remember him playing against Iowa State, um, they, they played him about 10 to 12 minutes in the first half, put him on the bench, let him uh, rest a little bit, come back in. Won't have that one, two points next year. But with Edwards back and Haas back, this is a team that isn't going away, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them have another top four finish in the league. 
I don't think they're going away, but not all points are created equal, John. And the difference between being nine and nine in this league, given who how good I think the top six or seven teams are going to be, um, and we're talking about, and that and 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 we're not including Indiana, which you and I both agree would agree is the elite historical program basketball wise in the conference. So we're talking about them maybe being in eighth place. The difference between being nine and nine in that league and fourteen and four, which oh, is what they were this yeah. past year, is is where do the other ten points come from? Okay, and or or where do the other four to six points come from? And we saw in that NCAA game against Iowa State the different their inability um, it, offensively without hit without without uh, you know Caleb Swanigan in the game. I love Vince Edwards a lot. But I love him as a number two option. And now they're going to ask him to be the number one. Okay, then who's now the number two, right? Because when I look at their roster, what I see is see, I see a lot of good players. I don't see too many guys other than Edwards that can get their own offense. I saw, I see guy, I, you know, I think they led the league in three-point shooting last year. They were up too close to the top. Well, it's because defense are collapsing on Haas and especially Swanigan. So guys are out there playing around the world. They're, they're, they got that. It's like double dribble on, on Nintendo when we were kids. Just <laughs> go, to that, go to that one spot. You're open every time, right? Well, that's not going to be the case now. And and so I will be fascinated to see now that you're going to ask Vince Edwards to be your number one scorer. Who's your number two option? Because man, when you got uh, when you got your own Charles Barkley impersonation going on. And Vince Edwards is your number two. That's that's getting it rolling now. But now you're asking Vince Edwards to be your one. I don't see a number two. And when I look at the rest of the teams here that are that are in this elite company in the Big Ten, I see a one and a two score. I don't see a one and a two for Purdue. I see a one who's not as good as the one they had last year and a bunch of role players. So I agree that they will not go away. But I, 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 I don't think they will be a top four team in the league. Moving on to, let's see, what other team? I mean, obviously we're going to talk about Iowa here in a second. You'd mentioned, um, we talked about Maryland. Mar- Maryland, had Trimble come back, they would have returned probably as much percentage of returning production as any team in the league. As it stands, they still return 70 points per game, 76.4 minutes per game, blah, 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 all that's fine and well. But, you know, you lose a three-year starter the caliber of Mellow Trimble. That is impossible to replace without taking a step back. And even though they do have a lot of exciting young players, I don't think they'll finish in the top four, but I do think they've got a shot, an outside shot at, say, an 8-9 or a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. Agree with everything you just said. And I think Maryland's much like Purdue. Not all points are created equal. I mean, how many times did we see last year Melo Trimble hit shots? We saw him just take over the game at Harbor Hawkeye. Um, against Iowa, we saw him win the game against Michigan State at the end of the year. When when we forget how bad they were slumping uh, towards the end of the season, and he had that big shot against Sparty there in one of the final home games of the year. Might have been their last home game of the year. Uh, so, I mean, who's that guy now? Because because last year they really didn't have a number two. You know, they had they had Mello, and then they had several guys that on a given night could be their number two. One of those guys that on a given night could be their number two 
is now going to have to be their number one. And, and so we'll see who that's going to be, John. Yeah. Jackson Cohen, both of them averaged over 10 points per game, 109.3. They've got some. Um, they've got some bodies, but yeah, it. I just don't think that they're gonna. I think there's gonna be a drop off for them. Um, Indiana, before their NBA defections, they would have returned 94.2 percent of their minutes, 92 percent of their three point production, 93.5 percent of their point, 93.5 percent of their points, and 68.6 points per game. Far and away, those would have been tops in the Big Ten. After the NBA defections, and we're talking about Blackman, Bryant, and OG Ananobi, um, returned just 46.9 points, 58.6% of their points. This is a team, Steve, that went from being a team that could have contended for a top three, top four, maybe even top two finish in the Big Ten to what you just mentioned. This may be your seventh, eighth, or ninth place team this year well you're telling me they're they they essentially uh who's the guy who's the lot likely lottery pick that got hurt is it uh oh ananobi oh ananobi all right so you're basically telling me they're this they would have been the same team we just saw get their coach fired but with a new coach that we're not sure if they would have fit into his system or not all right i mean didn't we we just saw this team didn't we i get what you're saying but ananobi was far and away their best player Right, he well he but he was he, never coming back. He played he the ne- first listen, but he played the first sixteen games mm-hmm. and at that juncture you'll recall Indiana was rated as high as third in the country. I know at one yeah, well, point beat, last year. They and, beat Kansas and, and uh North Carolina. Right? Yeah. So sixteen games in, just right when Big Ten season is beginning, they lose a potential NBA lottery pick. Right. That that's gonna have an effect. Now, I will say I can't imagine that Ananobi made the difference between Indiana playing like a bunch of grade schoolers from a basketball IQ standpoint that we saw for the vast majority of the Big Ten. See, I mean, that, that team was not a smart basketball team as far as basketball fundamentals go. And I can't believe Ananobi made that much of a difference. But when you got a guy that can break things down off the dribble, it certainly helps. I think Kareem would have not been fired had Ananobi not gotten hurt, but he did. So I get what you're saying, but Ananobi wasn't just another guy being lost. It was far and away their best player and, and a player unlike many teams in the Big Ten have. I agree, which is exactly why I don't think it would have made that big a difference if these guys had come back. I, I mean, because we just saw that. That was my point. We just saw this team without him. They saw those guys get their without him get their coach fired. I One see what you're, I see, I see what what you're saying. Yeah, I see yeah, what they got saying. without him. Those guys, those guys that were left, Bryant um, and Blackman, and those guys, they got their coach fired. One year coming off of winning the Big Ten championship by what was it, two or three games? Okay, so um, I, I I don't know how much better they would have been. We we just would have known the names of the players more. I you know if. Um, if the new coach is anything like his brother, they're going to play a far more gritty, physical, de- defensive style of basketball. Boy, boot, I just boot, boot camp basketball that those guys might not have wanted to be around. Yeah, I, I can't see Blackman and those guys out there saying, you know, <laughs> you bet Coach Dale. We'll, we'll, you, you, yeah. Yeah, 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 I don't see that. Okay, I don't. And I think this is a, I think this is a I think it's a bit of a sloth for Indiana to rebuild. 
I do. They don't have a huge class of guys incoming. He doesn't really have a huge name from a recruiting standpoint, so they're going to have to recruit off of the Indiana name. And it, I don't know that it will be the sexiest style of basketball on planet Earth. So I, I know everybody wrote all these glowing articles about the coaching hire that was made um, in the spring, and I hope it works out. You know, it's it, it's one of those programs. If you're a Big Ten guy, whether it's football or basketball, the league just needs certain brands in those sports to be good, to be considered good on a national level. And for basketball, Indiana is one of those brands. But while he doesn't have the rebuild job that Crean had when he came from the train wreck after Kelvin Sampson, this is not something where they're they're like a year or two. They're not competitive this year. And I don't know that we're going to say instantly next year they're right back in the Big Ten title hunt either. I think it's going to take some patience there in Bloomington. Wisconsin decimated by graduation. Bronson Koenig gone. Uh, he made gosh, he he made one hundred three pointers for you last year. He was their leading scorer, which might surprise you. Um, Nigel Hayes is gone. Showalter's gone. Vito Brown is gone. Four of their top five scores are gone. Uh, Ethan Happ does return, but you know you were talking a little bit ago about how you know Biggie Swanigan made life easier for some other guys, and how you're going to get your shot now. I think I think Ethan Happ's going to kind of learn, Agreed. experience the same thing, maybe mm-hmm. even on a far more challenging level because he, he doesn't you know he doesn't have a hoss. Uh, th- this is a team that is in a big time rebuild mode, and and I tweeted. You know, several months ago, that the Greg Guard, Wisconsin coach Greg Guard, the Greg Guard era begins now, and I think that Wisconsin's streak of top four finishes—and I know I've said it before and been wrong—but I think their streak of Big Ten top four finishes that began the first year of Bo, the Bo Ryan tenure which means they've made the NCAA tournament for 15 or 16 consecutive years. I think the top four finish streak is over. I'd even, you know, I'd even wager some pretzels on that. Um, but you, I've written Wisconsin off before. I'm going to do it again now. I don't think they're finishing top four. I think they'll be around seven or eight. I think you're right. Now, if they finish in the top four this year with everything you just pointed out, yeah, then that's an oh oh for the rest of the league for the foreseeable future. Okay, um, your point. I told you this at the time. I mean, the, the point you made, the Greg Guard era at, begins now for real, is true. And I, this may sound hyperbolic, but you could make an argument. This was the best senior class in recent Big Ten history when you look at everything they accomplished in Big Ten play in the NCAA tournament. Back-to-back Final Fours, National Championship game, you know, um, they were one last second shot away from, I think, going back to the Final Four. Because if, if, they, if, if that shot for Florida does not fall, well, essentially, Wisconsin is, again, when they play South Carolina, Wisconsin's playing themselves, but with better players. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. South Carolina is Wisconsin style of basketball. It's just Wisconsin had better players. I think you would have, this would have been a senior class that could have very well, without that shot, been looking at three straight Final Fours. Um, the, what they accomplished also in the midst of an awkward coaching transition and a passing of the baton, this is definitely one of the best senior classes in recent Big Ten basketball memory. No question about that. And so the character of those guys moves on as well. 
And, you know, you don't have Bo Ryan. If Bo Ryan was there, we would be like, well, we've written them off before. I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe this time. But there is a difference between having John Beeline plug two or three guys into starting five roles because he has a track record than having Greg Gard do it. And that we haven't seen yet. Now, maybe he can. Maybe they'll shock us again. But this would be the biggest surprise of them all. I think they're a fringe NCAA tournament team. And I agree with you. I think this is the reverse of Purdue. This is this is Biggie, Biggie Swanigan back without the role players around him. And um, I feel bad for Ethan Happ. He's gonna he's gonna learn why that famous <laughs> he's gonna learn why that great line from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the movie Airplane was so funny at the time. Hey, you go back there and tell your old man he can drag Bill Walton's ass up and down the court for forty minutes a night, okay? Because that's what he's looking at. I mean, he is he is gonna get pounded by Big Ten teams that will collapse on him until well, who's night who's your Bronson Kadick? Who's your Nigel Hayes? Who are your two, two, number two and number three scoring options? And the problem when a guy who is your interior player, who's not a great free throw shooter, by the way, that when the problem when he is your number one option and you're inexperienced in the backcourt, and, and you're not, not just in terms of experience, but talent, well, he can't get his own shot, John. He's not Caleb Swanigan, who developed, you know, a, a, a more of a, a bit of a perimeter game, even a bit of a, a breakdown game at times for Purdue last season. Yeah, he made now, 35 maybe, threes and shot about 40%. Yeah, that's true. All right, that leaves Iowa, the, the last team that we have yet to speak about. Hawkeyes return 86% of their minutes. Basically, the lone player they lost of any import or significance was Peter Jock. Now, obviously, Pete, before he got hurt, was... Putting uh, putting points in the bucket, unlike anything I'd seen in, in my cognizant memory of watching Iowa basketball. I know that some Iowa players back in the early '70s, uh, John Johnson, Freddie Brown, those guys could fill the bucket. But Peter Jock was putting forth the best scoring season of my lifetime, and at times, what he could do from three-point range pretty much blew me away. Eighty-five um, percent of their assists are back. Um, 97.7% of their blocks are back, but that's even though that's the highest percentage in the league, Minnesota still blocked a lot more shots. Um, 76.6% of their points return, which is fourth best in the Big Ten, and 61.7% of their gross point total, which is the second best in the Big Ten. And I've probably not been as wrong about a player as I was about Jordan Bohannon. I didn't think that he was going to be a Big Ten caliber point guard. I still think the guy may be a a better two, but it's just stupid to cling to something like that when we just witnessed a season where he had 175 assists, where he made 89 threes, um, you know, I, I, there's not many players that have ever done those two things. I think it might be Jeff Horner, and that's about it. He scored 372 points. I, I know no other Iowa freshman has ever done those things. You had Tyler Cook, who topped 300. You had Cordell Penzel, who topped 300. You had Isaiah Moss, who topped 200. And before this year, Steve, I don't think Iowa ever had more than two freshmen in the same season with over uh, 200 points per game, and they had three with over 300. So, you know, you're talking about Nicholas Bear coming back. Ahmad Wagner played well at times. 
Giants. Um, this is a team that I think absolutely can finish in the top four. But if I'm being honest at this juncture, and this isn't without a deep dive on the commits and recruits that other teams have coming in. I know I was recruiting classes ranked 29th um, from ESPN, which is third best in the Big Ten, but they have it as a three-person class, and Connor McCaffrey's not even going to play. So, but, but they do have two nice pieces coming in. I, I, I think uh, fourth, third, fourth, or fifth place is where I was going to wind up this year, one of those three slots. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I, I think – I think – if we are having a conversation at this time next year about when we go over your minutes and graphs of who came back and who did not, if we're having a, con- a legitimate conversation about whether or not Tyler Cook made the right decision to go pro or come back, then I think this team has the potential. Somebody, To me, Michigan State's in its own tier. I think if DJ Wilson had come back, I'd have put Michigan in that tier too. Without him, then I think I think Michigan State's in its own tier. I, I wouldn't I, have done that. You, you're, you're counting on who's your point guard? I think the Simmons kid will be very good. From True Ohio freshman? University. No, he's a senior grad transfer that turned down Kansas to come to Michigan. Oh, okay, gotcha. He would have been preseason MAC Player of the Year more than likely. Um, I, I I would have put Michigan with Michigan State. Without Wilson, I think they're a top 25, 30 type of NCAA team. But I think that's probably true of Iowa, Northwestern, several of those teams. I, I, I'm skeptical of Minnesota handling all these expectations. So I, even though I put Michigan State in its own tier, I don't think they're the runaway favorite. I just think they have the highest ceiling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But 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 two or three guys that didn't hit their that didn't really develop this season are going to have to develop for them to hit that ceiling, though. Okay. We'll see if they can do that. But I think they have the highest ceiling. And then I think there's a tier after that of, of top 25 potential teams. Minnesota we talked about. Iowa's in there. Michigan's in there. Northwestern's in there. Purdue is in there. Um, and you and I may differ on which of those teams is the most. One, one or two of those teams will, will develop a guy that we don't really know yet or, um, and, 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 and take the next step, okay, and be that team that's with Michigan State more than likely heading into the last week of Big Ten play atop the standings and, and watching the scoreboard. And, and for Iowa to be that team, I think we need to be having a conversation at this time next year about whether about you know evaluating Tyler Cook's decision whether to stay or in the draft or to um, come back. If we're having that conversation, then I think there is a really good chance Iowa could be one of those teams that breaks out of that second tier of teams that will likely be somewhere in the top 25 most of the year to challenge for the top of the Big Ten championship. Uh, And the reason why I say that is because the one thing, you've got all the other pieces. The one thing you don't have without Peter Jock is the true number one score. The guy that, that can win a game for you um, with two or three key buckets or possessions at winning time. Cook is the player that has that kind of ability. And I think he's got as much of ability to be that guy as any player um, from a developmental standpoint returning back in the league this year. If he reaches that potential, then I think we're going to have and, – and, and you and I are sitting here with 
and in your graph, Tyler Cook's name is there, and we're talking about it, then I think this has a chance to be a really special season for Iowa. If not, if, if that's still one step too big for him, then you're probably looking at being a team that's hovering around somewhere in the top 25 most of the year. Yeah, I mean, and Cook at times, and I, it's funny because I was um, it was late at night last night. I was tired and just flipped into the TV to have something on the background, and I put on Iowa's game against Wisconsin, um, where Jordan Bohannon hit the the three to win late, and, and I saw Cook make a few plays, and and I was just reminded of how I haven't seen an Iowa power forward do things like he did since Ed Horton and Tyler, mm-hmm. and Tyler Cook. Tyler Cook's game, he, he's well above the rim. Um, Horton was not that type of player. Horton could run the floor real good. I think he was 6'8", 225. But Cook is just a different caliber of athlete than, than what Ed Horton was. And what I think is going to be the interesting thing this offseason, because I, I don't know that Iowa really thought it was going to have an opportunity to do this this year as much as they did have the opportunity, but they were unable to do it is how they, how they scheme and utilize the best of Cordell Pemsel and Tyler Cook on the floor at the same time. Because, because Pemsel really took off when Cook was out. He was a revelation for me as well, for, and, and several people. When Cook came back, they just never really figured out a way for those two to play together at the same time. And if they can figure that out this offseason, and those two can both be out there a lot together, I'm not saying you've got a you know uh, a Swanigan-Haas-Edwards type of challenge there, pick your poison, but you got yourself a starter kit. And, and that... To me, is is the is in addition to what you said about Cook's development, getting those two to be able to play together at the same time. If they can figure that out, this team can go pretty far. Well, I think that goes along with Cook's development because for that to happen, Cook will have to will have to further enhance his offensive game. And I told you, I told you early in the year, early in Big Ten play, Pemsey was the guy I really liked, and it's because he's the kind of player that. You have to have on your team, um, if you're not going to be a team loaded with NBA draft picks, he's the kind of player you have to have on your team to, to be a factor in winning the Big Ten. The guy's just a space eater. And he's, a, he's an annoyance uh, if you're on the other squad. And, and, and if, you know, he's the kind of player that you'll see on a Penn State or a Northwestern when they're not that good. That, that, you know, is a double-double guy for a team that's not that great. Um, but if, if for a team that thinks it has, it has Big Ten championship aspirations, he is absolutely, if you're not loaded with NBA kind of prospects, the ideal kind of glue player. He's the kind of player Indiana could have used last year that they didn't have, okay? And guy, somebody's willing to do the dirty work and, and, and be proud of it. And I love that. And I think that... If if Cook embraces that and his presence on the floor by expanding his offensive repertoire, I think that actually makes him a more attractive NBA prospect going forward. And that's that's the message that I would be giving him if I were Fran McCaff. And another player, too, whose development – two more whose development I think are, are, are paramount for this team to reach its ceiling. Isaiah Moss. 
Um, he can do things off the dribble, and, and Iowa remains a program that struggles to recruit players who can do things off the dribble and take the ball to the basket. And Moss has Moss's control in in fast break and around the rim just blew me away this past year. He's a player that that has to make strides. And then Christian Williams, Williams, whenever there were you know he he was definitely considering transferring after this season. There's no I a hundred percent certain of it, but he really wants to be a part of this. And he he likes being at Iowa, so he 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 stayed. And at six six, with point guard abilities, and also able to take players off the dribble, and a very good defensive player, or somebody who I think can develop into a good defensive player, Iowa needs to have another point guard, and they really need for him to step up and mature and grow. And if they get that out of him, they get that. I mean, there's a lot of ifs going on, but the the good thing, Steve, is Iowa has a lot of parts. I don't think there's any team that I know of that's as deep as they are on the front court, especially when you consider bringing in, you know, a top 100 player in Luka Garza, uh, who, you know, who's probably the only true five on the, will be the only true five on the team. And then the kid I'm most excited about, Jack Nungi, who was runner-up for Indiana Mr. Basketball at 6'11", 225, 230, who can play a stretch four for you and do a lot of things. So, They've got the pieces, as many pieces as Fran has ever had, and I, and I really think this is this is the team that he's been building towards with the style of pieces that he does have. Very up tempo team, a team where six seven guys can hit threes for you. I mean, when you obviously Jock had eighty four last year, but Bohannon had eighty nine, Bear had forty six, Moss had nearly thirty. You had Ellingson over thirty. This is a team that can you know fill the hole that way. So. Good things. These are these are good questions. These are going to be fun answers to watch play out. But if you're an Iowa fan, it's been seldom over the last 20 years, maybe two or three other times, where you've had this much talent coming back and and this much of a ceiling. Agree with your analysis, and I think Iowa. The reason why I think those teams are in a tier by them, and and I might be overrating Michigan State. Not, not because uh, the reason I put them in a tier by themselves because with the collection of talent they have, I think they have a higher ceiling. But all these teams that we that we've talked about, with the exception of Indiana, which, which doesn't have any of these options, but all these teams we talked about have the, have really the same issue, and that is we kind of know who their number one option will be, but but who's the number two option? That, that really allows that number one option to be the player we think he can be, right? We know what Vince Edwards can do at, at Purdue, as we talked about. And now that he's got to be the man, who's the next guy after him? Mo Wagner, who's, who's, who's Michigan's number two guy? Miles Bridge, Bridges, that's why I keep talking about Cassius Winston. Who's their number two guy? they got a lot of guys with huge recruiting resumes and profiles, but there's nobody right now that you think – all right, if Miles Bridges is off tonight, this we got to stop blank. We think they have four or five guys, or maybe that's too many, three or four guys who could potentially become that person. But we haven't seen that yet. All right, Iowa, you know, Peter Jock was their number one. All right, so we, we are assuming Tyler Cook will take that next step. And if he does then, okay, then who's the number two? If he doesn't, well, then you got a lot of good players, but you still don't have that one number one player. 
Um, Minnesota might be the one team where we don't, where we think they know who their top couple of options are, but they're also not a really deep team. And we saw that last year when Springs got hurt. That was essentially a, a six-man rotation at the rest of the way. So, and that, and that's the reason why you and a lot of people like them is we kind of know who their one, two, and three options are because that bore itself out in this past season. We don't know. Maryland's got a lot of guys with stats, but none of them have really been a one, two, or a third option on a nightly basis. Uh, Northwestern has, we know who their number one guy is at this point guard. Who's the number two guy? You know, so uh, I, that's why I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of big numbers re- returning for a lot of these teams. But, but what there's not returning is that defined pecking order of of who who the, either A, their go-to guy is going to be, or B, who their complementary go-to guy is going to be. And so the reason why I think most of us are putting Michigan State in their own tier is because when we look at their roster, we think that there's a higher margin for them to come up with that player than the rest of the teams in the league. But that's no guarantee, John, that they will come up with that player or two. Indeed. That's um, that's a lot of college basketball for a uh, last few days of May. But that this is going to be a lot of fun this season. I can't wait for it, actually. Um, last thing before we go, you tweeted something earlier tonight. I, I couldn't let this go without talking about it. Your tweet reads, jump all over these underdogs for from the first two weeks of the season as Ken Miller um, had tweeted out some early season lines. You're saying West Virginia plus five over Virginia Tech. Auburn plus seven over Clemson. Wow. And Iowa State plus two over the Hawkeyes. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why I have all three of trolling on a Sunday afternoon or Monday afternoon. Happy Memorial Day, America. Yes, the reason why I have all three of these, they all have something in common. The underdog has a superior quarterback to the favorite. And early in the year, that's huge. Huge. The two things that decide games more than any other – well, they decide games most weeks, but they're even more important the first week or two of the year because you don't have a preseason. Um, and if you want to know where you see upsets the first couple of weeks, it's always because, um, A, one team had a more experienced quarterback than the other, or B, one team had a more experienced kicking game than the other. And when you look at where Iowa State is with Jacob Park compared to where Iowa is right now with either Uyghurs or Stanley, advantage Iowa State. You look at Auburn with Jarrett Stidham. Clemson, we don't know who their quarterback is. You know, they've got the the situation where Kelly Bryant, the returner, actually was not Deshaun Watson's backup last year. He was the third string guy. The the backup graduated too. And so behind him are a highly recruited redshirt freshman and an even higher recruited true freshman in Hunter John in Hunter Johnson. Well, this will be their first meaningful action. Jared Stidham has played at an exceedingly high level in college bat- football already. And put up impressive numbers. So that's advantage Auburn. And then if you look at um, uh, the other game in there as well with West Virginia and Virginia Tech. You know, we've talked about Virginia Tech's Gerard Evans. As Tom Lugan, Billy ESPN, likes to say, the first player ever to declare early for the Canadian Football League draft. All right, So they don't have a quarterback. Could be a redshirt freshman. Could be a junior college guy. You know, Will Greer was lighting it up at Florida. I think he will light it up 
uh, at West Virginia and that air raid offense for Dana Holverson. And that's a neutral site game as well. So those three games, all within the first two weeks of the season, are games where the favorite is a team that has more name cachet, and that is reflected in the early line. And and all three of those teams, by the way, that are favored in those games, by the end of the season, could very well be better than all the teams I just mentioned. But we're not playing these games in October and November when those young quarterbacks have had a chance to be tested. We're playing those games Labor Day weekend and right after that when these young quarterbacks have not been. And and the only one of them that's even playing at home is the Clemson quarterback, whoever that turns out to be. So when you look at all three of those guys, experience and production advantage at quarterback, and you're giving me points early in the year, absolutely I'm rolling that, John. You bet I am. Yeah, I, I don't have much of a read on Iowa. At this point, obviously, we don't know who the quarterback is. I, I know they're going to try to run the ball a lot. Probably going to play a lot of tight ends um, and try to smash mouth against Iowa State, which is typically what they do. I mean, it's not surprising that you see forty-two to three scores or thirty-five to sevens and, and, and uh, Iowa against Iowa State through the years, and then a couple of years later, it'll be forty-four, forty-one in overtime or, or a boat race type mm-hmm. of game because that's how Iowa State is built to compete in the league they're in, and they, you know, they don't necessarily stand up to that rushing game. But Iowa's power rushing game also isn't really going to blow you out and put up a lot of points. So it's it's not it's why I'm never comfortable with this game. I'm certainly not comfortable with it in Ames. And Jacob Park can sling the ball. Iowa has a new secondary, by and large. And we don't know what they are at quarterback. We don't know who the heck's going to catch the balls. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, begrudge anybody for uh, getting down on ISU plus two. I think it might be, from a skill position standpoint, the most the best team Iowa State's had offensively in several seasons. Uh, obviously, that's somewhat faint praise, okay? Um, but um, it, it, I think it also shows how much they are progressing as well. Defensively, I don't think they'll be very good. I mean, I, I'm highly dubious of a starting quarterback. You start a, a kid who starts the season as quarterback, and he might be your starting linebacker the very next year. I don't know about that. Okay, so that that seems to me like we're desperately trying to plug some people in. But you know what? That's pretty much everybody in the Big Twelve, guys. I mean, I mean, the team that won the Big Twelve, the the dominant team in this league, Oklahoma. When they had to win a game last year where they gave up over 700 yards of total offense. Okay, so that's the conference. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't play defense in the Big Twelve. Okay, you break serve. <laughs> reference. That's what you do. You sit back. You sit back there while Jokovic throws 140 mile an hour serves at you, and you hope you got. He you hope he double faults a couple times so you can break serve once and win six four. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a, that's what the Big Twelve is. And if not, we'll see you in the tiebreaker. Okay. Someone wins the set seven six. I mean, that's that's what happens in the Big Twelve. You don't play any defense. So, I, I think it, I think that's a tough matchup for Iowa. I think, and I've already talked about why I like the other two teams as well. And I think we know what Iowa's going to be and do. We know, we know they're going to average twenty four to twenty eight points a game because they always average twenty four to twenty eight points a game. That's what they do. I think I think their career. I think the average is pretty much. Uh, 26.8 points per game or something like that is pretty much what they do. We know that. It's just a matter of, 
you know, uh, where those points get spread out and, and how many games they win. I mean, we, we know what Iowa's system is. We know what it will produce. We know what the stat sheet is likely to look like. I, I saw a stat. I was reading through Athlon's college football preview out in the sun today, watching the kids play in the pool. I, I can't believe Iowa averaged five yards a play in the Big Ten. That's the worst in the league. And yet they had 2,000-yard rushers. I'm not even going to research that. I will put money down right now that in the entire history of college football, no team has had 2,000-yard rushers and averaged five yards a play for a season. Okay, that's incredible. That's probably never – I know it's never happened before. I don't even have to look at that. So it, it looks different how they do it, you know, and the coaches at Iowa – despite the reputation for being stubborn, actually have shown a fair amount of flexibility over the years to pragmatically figure out how to get their 27 points per game. But we know they're going to average 27 points per game. It's another, it doesn't matter if you're quarterbacking me, uh, Ricky Stanzi, God bless America. Whoever's quarterbacking, you're averaging 27 points a game. And then it's a matter of you know where those points come from, in which games, how they get spread out, and key plays or two here or there. Um, because there's a lot of 21-17 games each and every week. We just know that. What we don't know is how those num- what, how many wins those numbers add up to at the end of the year. That's the mystery. Indeed it is. No mystery now. The end of the podcast has arrived. We'll see you again soon. For Steve, I'm John. Take care.